out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Easter. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the Edinburgh-based punk band. It is The Prats, active from 1977 to 1981. And uh, yes, it was four years. But interesting enough, there's a lot to this story. Um, a, they were some, I don't know, I think they ranged from the age of 12 to 15 they like him young, don't they, sometimes? That was the 70s for you. And um, there was also another twist in the story, 2004. I won't spoil everything, but it's a biggie anyway, so uh, there's a lot to talk about. In fact, there was so much to talk about, um, this is going to be in two parts. It's a Zoom thing. I'm not going to go into detail, but um, just 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 understand why. So, uh, yeah, anyway, this is with two members of the Prats, Paul McLaughlin and David Maguire. Now, which one's which, I hear you say. Right, well, best of luck on that one. Anyway, the first person who speaks, apart from me, is going to be, and you'll know who I am, um, it's going to be Paul, and then it's David. So, um, I think David's voice is a little bit clearer, but it might not be completely. But anyway, you get the gist. Um, it's good. It's just fantastic. Anyway, look, the usual thing, we have a lot of chat, then I edit that out, and that's never going to get heard. And then we talk about the early musical years. Paul, it's over to you. So, uh, so mid to late 70s in Scotland, um, very wet... If you've ever heard an Ivor Cutler poem, you'll probably know um, it's, it's it's a bit dismal. Um, musically, I think the first things that I remember that were any good were things like T-Rex. I remember Metal Guru, mm-hmm. and that was a thing, and, and people were quite excited about that. I remember being at, um, in, a, in a hotel with my parents and um, David Bowie, Drive-In Saturday came on and that was really appealing. Mm. Um, I remember the first record I ever bought. I went to buy, went to the shops to buy um, Starman by David Bowie, but unfortunately they didn't have it in the shop. So I bought um, Mary Had a Little Lamb by Wings, which is extremely embarrassing. So my tastes were not refined. You know, I didn't have cool, particularly cool tastes. Um, but then, of course, sort of punk came along a little bit later. I don't know. What about you, Dave? Yes, David. Yeah. What was your your sort of moment that you thought, hmm, interesting? I mean, I think, I think for me it was, um, I wasn't really that interested in music before punk, really. Um, so punk was a kind of massive sort of a, you know, kind of um, moment for for me. So yeah, I hadn't really been that into. It. I, I kind of I do remember the first single I ever bought, and Paul was saying that his one um, was embarrassing. But the first single I ever bought was um, a, a, a Gary Glitter Band single. So maybe that so maybe that kind of tops Paul's in terms of embarrassment. Um, but really, other than that, I wasn't really that interested in in music. And um, I, I just remember kind of discovering kind of punk, you know, kind of hearing the Clash and the Buzzcocks and stuff like that, and just absolutely loving it and it really kind of spoke to me and and um i don't know that and then you know i i, I wanted to you know suddenly from not having been interested in music within a kind of year or so i wanted to be playing it you know yes um, 
was just, invented just, by the again, DIY spirit, I suppose. And just to get an idea, was this all in Edinburgh? Yeah, yeah. Right, so you grew up in a city, because because I'm sort of now in my mid-50s, so I was born 64 times, so it was kind of the early years were the kind of the glam period, and and obviously the suite were huge. Crazy yeah. Horses by the Osmonds sounded very exciting, mm-hmm. and see, here in schools out by Alice Cooper was brilliant, but thankfully, you know, um, Gary Glitter, I so want to be in his gang, but it was David Bowie's Space Oddity, which was my first single, so hurrah for that. So otherwise I would have... Very good, uh, yeah, very good. Yeah, so it was interesting. Driving Saturday is quite, quite an amazing one, but then Wings, Mary yeah. the Little Lamb. I, my brother had Band on the Run, but I'd never heard of that single. So um, there you go. I'll have to go and Google it or listen to it on Spotify. I, I wouldn't if I was you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not... It's, it's hard to live down to the, the disappointment of that, I think. Um, yeah, did you, did you have a good B-side on it? Because the, the thing with Space Oddity, we had... Changes and Velvet Goldmine, which was fantastic. And I thought B sides mm. was just going to be so cool. It went downhill ever since, actually. No, there, there was a there was a guy. Uh, was it Daniel Boone? Do you remember that one? Beautiful Sunday. For some oh, yeah, reason, yeah, that yeah. that stuck like the needle being on the record, just repeat and repeat and repeat. I seem to remember one. Was it a summer? That was really stuck in my mind. So I don't yeah. think there was there was this sort of the Prats grew out of really stony ground in many ways yeah so a cultural desert <laughs> we weren't quite a desert but we were you know it was un, it was kind of not prophetic do you not know fair. what i mean it was kind of they would because obviously top of the pops were huge wasn't it you know there wasn't much else so you weren't going to miss top of the pops on a thursday at 7 30 but we'd had yeah. the base seat rollers and that was incredibly exciting i mean if without them you know we wouldn't have had the ramones that's a sweet, sweet statement. But they did have that amazing wow, song, didn't they? Statement, yeah. You know. And we also remember sort of people like uh, Alex Harvey, you know. And again, that was very mm-hmm. sort of scary stuff. You know, that was you yeah. wouldn't want to be in a lift with Alex Harvey, would you? Because it was like next, you know. It was like or that bassist as well. He looked mental. Oh yeah, gee, <laughs> made Gary Glitter look completely safe. So yeah, it was in. So there was a lot of music at back. So so in my, my you know my sort of we were from the countryside, it was working class. So it was all football, football, and then a bit more football, and then you go to bed. So how did you start? No one formed bands. So how did you start thinking, this is this is a good idea. We'll we'll be the next, you know, Osmonds. I, I, I don't know. I think it was myself and my younger brother, Greg, um, and a friend from from up the stairs. We lived in a kind of tower block in, in, uh, in Ox Gangs in Edinburgh. We just, I, I don't know, someone had an old acoustic guitar um, and I used some of my mum's kind of knitting needles on a car on cardboard boxes. We got an old symbol from somewhere and we just basically set it up in the bedroom and just kind of started coming out with all these songs. So like song after song after song, they were all about, you know, a minute, minute and a half kind of long. They were a kind of rant. They were probably rarely the same as they were played, you know, um, the previous week or the following week. Um, and, and we just we just kind of really, really kind of enjoyed it. You know, I, I, I'm not actually sure that we were consciously kind of... Um, you know, following anyone, or I, I suppose it was just that kind of do-it-yourself kind of ethos of just kind of, you know, this is something that we can actually kind of do, you know, or, or but, you know, we didn't take it, we didn't take it seriously. And and then, you know, we, we decided to kind of tape some of the songs and sent them to, to Fast Product. And um, we're amazed when they got back to us and wanted to put a couple of tracks on uh, Earcomb kind of compilation that they were putting out. Um, and at that point, we thought we need to get serious. We need to get kind of, 
you know, like electric guitars and a kind of drum kit and, and we need to get other people in. So, I, you know, Paul was a friend of mine at school uh, and so was um, uh, Tom, Tom um, Robinson. So um, we kind of asked them both to, to join and then and then we started kind of practicing and, and um, yeah, yeah, took it from took it from there, really. Like, But we certainly couldn't play anything at first. I think, Paul, you could play a bit, but um, the rest of us couldn't play anything at all. You know, I mean, I, I just kind of hit things, really. Um, I still do as a drummer, actually. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like quite good advice. It just hit things. <laughs> I, I mean, to say I played a bit is pretty much an exaggeration in the sense that I aspired to be able to play three chords. I sort of, I think I probably had about two, but in comparison to obviously the rest of the band, yeah, two more than us. There's probably two more. <laughs> So, so I was I was the, the the kind of musical expert that was brought in to uh, to to add some um, I don't know what to, to the experience. Yes, I mean, it but does we make, we started an story really thrashing things yeah. around. Yes, so so as a as somebody who's never been in the band and and is always a bit amazed anybody makes a sound. I mean, it does seem quite extraordinary that from those kind of very early humble days of hitting things that you managed to start making records. I mean, who was the songwriter and, and how did you start thinking that needs to happen and that needs to happen and to, to make songs actually slightly more consistent? Yeah, well, I suppose Craig, um, you know, my younger brother was, was the, um, the initial kind of songwriter. He would just kind of have a really kind of quirky kind of take on the world and We'd um, you know, write these kind of you know poems, stroke kind of stroke songs, um, and but I suppose we didn't really have much an idea in terms of kind of arranging you know things, you know. So we didn't really know any of the kind of terms like you know kind of um, you know verse, chorus, kind of middle eight, you know anything like that. Um, and I suppose it was when we actually got into a kind of practice room and you know with kind of you know electric guitars and kind of bass and kind of drum kit and stuff like that, then we really started to kind of. I don't know, we just kind of, we just, we just learned it all as we went along. We just kind of, we just, we just made it up as we went along and, um, you know, um, hopefully kind of got better at it, you know, <laughs> like and, and practiced a lot, like, and, and uh, you know, and played, and played live and stuff as well, although we were terrified, but, but, um, but also there was a real kind of buzz to it as well. We really liked it. And roughly how old were you at, the, at that stage, you know, because in, seven, was it 79 you had a John Peel session? Yeah, so Greg was Greg was twelve, um, and myself and Paul and Tom were fourteen. Blimey, that's quite impressive, actually. I remember when it started from, during that period. Wasn't there a band from Liverpool who who sort of were very young and they had an employment problem because they'd played lot. Their manager made them play lots of gigs, and then there was some sort of thing that they had to have. They couldn't keep working, so they sort of missed their kind of moment because they had to sort of have a few months off, and then so. I'm very, I'm very sketchy on this band in Liverpool, by the way, but I can remember yeah. this strange story that this manager <laughs> thought, right, let's just keep playing you and, you know, let, let you sort of keep sort of playing live. And then, then there was some employment law to do with children working too much. Okay. So. We well, had certainly... some issues there yeah, in the did, sense right? that in the sense that when we played gigs, I mean, it, the, the spark really, it took off when Fast Product, you know, got back to us, Bob Last wanted to put the, a couple of tracks on on the thing they were doing, ear, Earcom. And so when I got involved with the, with the band, there was already a kind of route to to um, to market, as it were. There was a, 
past had said they wanted to to put these tracks out so we had we had a real reason to exist um and we 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 worked at it but then quite soon after that we started getting gigs and uh as dave says i mean the 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 trouble was they were all licensed premises and we were too young to be involved so we had to basically we were told by the management to kind of hide in the dressing room um to stay strictly in the dressing room until we were to go on stage and then supposedly retreat back to the dressing room and that would fulfill the licensing requirements or whatever um and of course we ignored that we completely once we were on stage we went out and to the audience and all the rest i mean i remember our first ever gig dave i don't know how how much you remember that but it was in a place um trades council in edinburgh um and there were like six bands on the bill that night um and we got on stage we were quite nervous we were in in the um dressing room beforehand hiding as we were told to uh, and we at that stage we didn't really have any chords as such the guitars were always free we played uh, open strings open strings freestyle um <laughs> and we i remember distinctly a conversation we had in the dressing room where we said because we could literally play the guitar with one hand in our pocket <laughs> because it was all one 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 you know open string so we thought that's not going to look right so we said, well, we better make the pretense of sliding our hands up and down the, the, the arm of the guitar um, <laughs> because that's how it looks on top of the pops, right? Um, and that would, therefore, we would we'd give the impression that we were playing something sophisticated. Um, and then we went on stage and, as Dave says, the songs were all, I mean, a max of a minute. I mean, the Ramones had nothing on us on, <laughs> on brevity. Um but we 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 literally we got on stage. We must have looked quite odd because literally Greg was was not very tall. He was twelve. Dave and I, you know, we were sort of we were the elders of the group at fourteen. So <laughs> we got on stage. We started playing, and the the audience was a mixture. In those days, they were often a mixture, weren't they? So there was like people in leather jackets, the, that kind of crew, the 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 more sort of heavy guys. I don't know. And then there were people that looked a bit like punks, and it was a kind of punk night, really, mainly. Mm -hmm. And we big finished crowd, our first, it? It a, yeah, yeah, it was a big crowd. Yeah, it was a big crowd. Mm -hmm. And we finished our first song, and we stopped, and there was literally silence in the room. And it was just that moment where just an incredulous sort of pause, and we looked around, and then suddenly people started clapping. And it, it was just that moment, that split moment where we didn't know if they were just going to laugh, <laughs> walk away, boo, whatever. But they decided to clap. And I mean, I wouldn't say we had thunderous applause, but we were, I think we were, there was a novelty aspect to it that was just like, yeah, what absolutely. the hell? Because we had these crazy short songs, bashed them out with it, mm -hmm. as I say, with no chords uh, whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, and it was really we exciting. We the encores that night as well. <laughs> Did we? <laughs> <laughs> and having songs that were so short, I mean, how many, I mean, you obviously couldn't be on stage for that long, could you? Mm. We, I think, I, I seem to remember we were on stage for about 13 minutes that night or 15 minutes, something right. like that. <laughs> but then the, there's the three encores afterwards, remember? So we milked yeah, it. Set you milked, yeah, just... about kind of 12 or 13 songs there. I, I think we probably got to about 18 or 19 minutes on stage <laughs> that night. Do you know what I mean? We were, we were yeah. really going for it, Springsteen style. Yes, well, our, absolutely. Um, our John Peel session has 
had eight tracks on it. Like, and you know, that was that was that was almost unheard of. I mean, John Peel sessions were kind of four tracks, you know, kind of um, ours, ours, ours was eight, you know, and you know, kind of one, you know, one minute 21, one minute 30, one minute 40. <laughs> yeah, it, may, it makes um, make Napalm Death look quite sort of, you know, prog rock, I suppose, going on. Makes them look prog, eh? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, how did, I mean, it's still, it's boggling, because when you're, you know, young, you sort of feel quite grown up, and then you get older, then you see 14-year-olds or 12-year-olds, and you think, God, they look so young. So you, you must have appeared completely extraordinary to an audience especially at that stage because now you know with hindsight you can look back with as with any period and sort of have a certain wisdom at the time it must have looked really strange you must have looked like I don't know the Osmonds you know who escaped from the balls did you look kind of like, well, like street kids who had slightly sort of run from run out from the ball stall I mean Dave I don't know what you think I think I mean our our sort of fashion sense was we were kind of like thrift shop very thrift shop <laughs> osmonds um, <laughs> at one point at one point i and this is going to sound it may, may i'm i'm hesitating whether i should say this but um i used to there was a there was a i, I you'd look at your parents clothes in your parents room and rifle anything any anything to see what you could get and i remember my mother had a very fetching white jacket um with with kind of lots of collar involved um if you if you imagine a sort almost a harry hill um style collar nice. and i yeah and i remember stealing that and <laughs> it had shiny um like brass <laughs> buttons on it and for some reason it appealed um and felt a bit showy and i remember wearing that that was in our mid period dave that was when we were like proper getting proper grown up but you know like when we were 15 you know um, you combined it with a flowery belt as well <laughs> did i probably and then I, I remember putting it back in the closet after the performance and it had been sort of beer stained and and obviously showing signs of, of the Smoking yeah the, the your clothes would sting wouldn't they we forget that they would no, no one would know what that smells like when you try to put your clothes on the next morning without you know still wearing them because we were disgusting and it was like, oh, this is a bit smoky, but that's not too bad. You know, but your mum was uh, yeah. you just say, Well, I've been um, I was upstairs on the bus. So that's how that's how there's a smoky smell off it, Mum. Like it wasn't it wasn't me smoking, it's not as if oh, <laughs> we God. haven't started smoking, Mum. <laughs> I never had that conversation. <laughs> Blimey. So so was that so during that period, I mean God, I mean it's hard enough when you're in your twenties or thirties, but still being in that age. And then with the John Peel session, do, did you sort of go down to Maida Vale and, and have that experience? I just wonder what your parents were thinking at this stage, thinking, because, you know, they probably weren't like tiger parents, were they? Like, going, yes, this is it. I can see money. Just go for it, kids. You know, you've been doing this since the age of three. This is what we've always dreamed of. Did they think this is this is, this could be you should be getting a proper job? Yeah, a bit. I mean, I'll, I'll go first and then and then, then you, Paul, you can come in. I mean, our parents were, were, were wonderfully supportive. Um, I mean, I think they were terrified. They were terrified of this world that we'd got, in, got involved in. They kind of thought that, you know, drugs would be along and, um, you know, would be along soon and there would be all sorts of kind of problems and that it would disrupt our schoolwork, you know, and, and all of this kind of stuff. Um, 
nevertheless, you know, my dad bought me a bought me a drum kit. Uh, my dad came down with us when we played in when we played in London. My mum came down with us when we played in, in Manchester. We didn't go to Maidenvale to do the John Peel session. We recorded it up here. I um, mean, partly because of that, partly because we were so young at that point for us all to kind of go down there would be, you know, would be quite difficult. But but we did do kind of pretty shortly afterwards to play to play gigs and stuff. And, you know, um, I mean, I always tell the story about my father um, came down with us to play when we were playing at the Nashville in, um, in London. Um, but he, the, the agreement was that he wouldn't come to see us. He would stay um, away and we'd just meet him afterwards. But of course, he came along and was kind of sat at the bar kind of, you know, um, buying drinks for people so that he could kind of make friends in, in this kind of room that he was quite intimidated by with all these punk rockers and stuff in it like that um, and Greg said to me you know dad's out there Dave and I was like no he won't be he won't be he won't be he said he wasn't coming but no he was well absolutely <laughs> so I think they, were, they were terrified but they were wonderfully supportive of it like, Paul what do you think yeah um, I didn't tell my parents at first I thought it was my, my older brother who was a great influence uh, in terms of he he had all the you know he he had all the the music he had the clash records and all the rest of it and he was really someone that was a strong influence on on me um but he was in a band and it was so frowned upon at least so i thought that i thought you know three years younger they're just not gonna watch it's not gonna wash so i i hid it from them at first yes um and we made our first record we literally cut a record i used to pretend i was playing tennis I seem to recall, <laughs> and I would I would pop off with the with the uh, the racket, and we'd go and rehearse and this that and the other, and then we cut our first record. And we were coming back. The producer, the guy must have been about in his twenties or something, uh, was driving us back and was dropping me off at home. And I think the conversation I said, "Oh, just drop me around the corner. I'll be fine here. I'll walk the rest of the way." And of course, he was like, "Well, why is that? What, what's the problem?" And he was like, "I was like, well." My parents don't really know that I'm in a band, and he was like, "What? It's just, you've cut your first record. Um, you've been, uh, you, you've done these gigs. You've been reviewed. I mean, our first gig was reviewed in both Sounds and NME, you know, and we got yeah, name checks as well. Smash it. We got these kind of this immediate kind of tiny notoriety, but you know, a tiny bit of of publicity." And he said, "You've got to tell them. You know, that's ridiculous. You've got to go in and tell them." So I, I sheepishly went in and, and so I called my mother down and said, Mama, I've got something I've got something to tell you, you know, it's it's pretty bad. And of course she must have thought all kinds of horror was about to be was about to be spoken. And I, I said, what is it? What is it? For God's sake, what is it? I says, I'm in a band. She said, What? I'm in a band. Is that it? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm playing music. She's like, that's great. What's the problem? <laughs> and so the next thing, I'm I'm running up the stairs, literally, to get the um, the cuttings from Sounds and NME because we had like I said, <laughs> we did a couple of little clips in there, and I'm showing her that, and and yeah, and they were they were good. There was one time when they threatened to pull me out of the band. We had a we had an episode where we ended up uh, in a police station. Um, and uh, kind of overnight, middle of the night, and uh, I wouldn't, we wouldn't, don't need to necessarily go into the whys and wherefores of that. But the the it's rock and roll man, the police, the, yeah, the, the police called and said, "Your son's in the in the police station. Um, uh, you come and get him." So they came. My father came and got me, and uh, and it was very cross. And I only found out recently 
why he was so cross. Um, and he said to me, I, I asked him recently, I said, why, why was you so upset about that? At the police, you know, and he kind of, he, he always hated the police. He hated authority. And I think that's where part of my rebellious nature came from. Um, but it was more than that. He said, when they phoned him up, he said, what, you know, your son's in the police station. It's the middle of the night. And he said, why? What's the problem? And they, they didn't tell him. They just said, come and get him and come and see. And, and he was really cross about that. But he smelt drink off me. Right. On the way back in the car, he smelt. So he says, have you been drinking, son? And I was like 15, you know, no, dad, no, of course not. And he was like, I can smell drink off you. And of course it takes a, what is it they say? It takes a thief to catch a thief, you know. <laughs> um, so he knew yeah. fine well there was drink. And he, he says, right, that's it, sir. You're out of the band. I'm not having you drinking at 15 and all this. So for about, we had a tour. We had a little mini tour lined up. It was due to start in about 10 days. Um, and uh, so for the first couple of days, it was like, you're out of the band, that's it, no question. Out of the band forever. Then he was like, out of the band for a month. You know, a couple of days <laughs> went by. You're out of the band for two weeks, and I'm going no lower than that. And then, of course, by the weekend, it was like, all right, you're back in the band. Oh, um, fantastic. And My so we were, we were back on the road. <laughs> wow, that's a heady. Yes, it's strange, isn't it? Because now you look back and you just be so, most parents be so excited that they're, pushing those kids to do guitar lessons actually was going to work. I think it kind of is the reverse thing, isn't it, really? You need to go, no, 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 I don't want you to do that. And then they go, oh, that's rebellious, rather than just hoisting them with a guitar just because you couldn't be bothered to play. So during that time, because most bands, you know, doing this this show, I realise that most bands have a five-year narrative or four years. And you, bizarrely, you are, you're there before anybody else, really, because most of these bands are in their 80s and they get together, especially during that period where, you know, there's a lot of unemployment and... The people <laughs> claiming job seekers allowance or enterprise allowance scheme, they form a band, they get that single, John Peel plays it, they get the John Peel session, you know, and every little town and city, you know, would have an alternative night. So they would get their little transit van, they'd drive around. It was something to do. Then the first album, things going quite well. Second album, not so good. And then they split up roughly. So how did your kind of narrative sort of start to develop? Because obviously you're, you're right there in the punk and then sort of slipping into that post-punk phase, even though, yeah. even though we didn't really know any what was happening. So, so as the 80s approached and we Thatcher got in in 79, so things started to change quite drastically. Mm -hmm. How did it sort of, how did the, the 80s and the decades shape up for you? Oh, um... I don't know. I mean, that's, that's 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 an interesting kind of narrative. I mean, we don't quite we didn't quite make it as long as five years, and you know, there the, there was an album, but it was it was um, you know twenty years afterwards split up, and there's another one coming out in kind of next month. You know, so yeah. um, so in some senses it's a kind of forty year narrative, but in some but, but in the strict sense it was only about a kind of three three and a half kind of four years, depending on where you take it from. You know, like when when yes. that bedroom thing could actually be called a kind of band, you know, um, and then and then when it finished, we had a couple of lineup changes over the years, you know, so Greg, who was very much the kind of voice of the, you know, the, um, the facts, I mean, Greg, Greg left and, and my other brother, Jeff, um, um, joined, Paul, Paul took over on vocals, um, we had a girl called Elspeth um, um, who joined the band, who was a brilliant guitarist, um, and, you know, brought a lot of kind of musical kind of proficiency to us as well. So we changed, we changed quite a lot, I mean, you know, um, in terms of the sound, you know, Jeff's my, Jeff was um, my older brother as well, so the kind of age range kind of went up, you know, with Greg the younger kind of leaving. And, and as Paul was saying, you know, as, as who had been the seniors, you know, we're now actually kind of, you know, a bit more kind of junior in the, you know, um, um, in the band. Um, 
and I, I think our sound kind of changed a lot. I think we were always at pains to kind of show that we weren't what we were like when we first started, that, you know, we weren't, this wasn't the kind of, you know, song, song a minute kind of joke band. We even said that once on a poster, that we were much more kind of, we were much better now, we could kind of play now, we were much more kind of sophisticated. Um, and, and maybe we lost some of that, we lost some of that kind of... Um, punky kind of um, creative kind of um, spark. Maybe we kind of lost a bit of what we had um, um, as a result of that. But there was also practical things as well, you know. So Jeff um, and Elspeth then kind of got together and were in the kind of throes of kind of first love and stuff. Excellent. So that, was, with that was quite complicated in a band as well. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and we all just we all just kind of split up and kind of went our separate ways in the, um, um, in the end, you know. But, Yes. So just, just, I mean, what, what was the sort of the moment that, that you decided to, to, to quote Jim Morrison, say, this is the end of the band? There was a, I think, it's interesting you were saying about bands when they're in their late teens, early 20s or whatever. We were that bit younger. So mm. our, 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 our narrative was condensed, I think. And by the time we were... We, I, I certainly looked forward to being on the dole, uh, and and playing music. You know that was people were saying, "Oh, what are you going to be when you leave school?" And people were like, "Oh, bus driver or, you know, surgeon, nuclear scientist or whatever." I was like, "I want to be on the dole and playing music." You know, like Joe Strummer. You know, yes. well, that's what I want to do. So, so we kind of not we nearly made that ambition, but not quite because we burnt <laughs> out. I think we burnt out just before we got there because, as Dave says, there was some. Uh, the, the couple of the band members, Jeff and, and Elspeth, uh, you know, got together, and then, then, then one's one's interests lie elsewhere, perhaps. So I think we had at the time we had some one of the Rough Trade singles was coming out. Um, the probably the follow it might even have been General Davis. Davis General Davis, I think. The, yeah. yeah, and and that was coming out, and you know, and we had lined up a few gigs to celebrate that and to promote it and I think I, I, I hope I'm sure Jeff is sadly Jeff's no longer with us now but I think he'd, he'd understand me saying that you know in a sense there was that conflict that they they wanted to do other things and we were trying to be committed to the band and and one way or another that I think that was probably the yeah. certainly the beginning of the end if not the end uh -huh. I think it's. A, I mean, it is a really intense set of relationships that you have, and you know, not only did we have you know a kind of boyfriend girlfriend kind of first love thing going on, but we also had you know a kind of brother brother thing as well. And then myself and Paul were kind of best friends at school, and you know, Greg, my younger brother, had been in the band. So th there was there was the usual kind of intensity around being in bands, but kind of you know suffused and kind of underplayed with with all of these kind of familial and kind of relationship kind of issues as well. So and you know you know, um, with us being, you know, kids, essentially, just, you know, teenagers, you know. So it was a heady mix in that sense. Like, Testosterone. Yes. Testosterone yeah. was involved. <laughs> never, <laughs> never ends well. Never ends well. <laughs> it is, yeah, God, you can, you can imagine. You, you was, yes, it's, it's a kind of frightening age, isn't it? And also, I suppose, if mm -hmm. you've been on, 
he'd already been on stage and sort of sold records. I mean, it's hard. I mean, as you get younger, you, older, you get a lot more cynical and sort of a bit more kind of, I don't know, you just know it's all going to end in tears. But when you're younger, you, when you look at younger people, you think, oh, my God, that innocence, I'd forgot that. You sort of think, mm-hmm. but now yeah. it's going to end in tears. But you just have to cope with how many tears, don't you? Because, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. some yeah. things aren't yeah. meant to last, really, or you need to know yeah, how yeah, to I, sort I, of... Absolutely. Absolutely. No. And it's great that it's great that all these years later, there's still there's still interest in us, you know. So um, in, in 2004, 2005, when Jonathan Dem, you know, um, was making the kind of Manchurian candidate and put us on the, you know, on the, the, um, the opening, the opening titles of the film and stuff like that. I mean, that was just fantastic. And then, you know, Channel 4 News got, you know, interviewed, interviewed Paul and, and set up for Paul to meet Jonathan Dem at the kind of premiere and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, with with one little independent now kind of you know um, putting putting out another kind of compilation. I mean, it's just fantastic that you know because this is this is a lifetime ago that this you know, that this stuff happened. You know, this is true. Actually, also, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna have to send you the invite one more time, but just don't go away. I'll just do this because um, it's forty. Right gone so quick can you believe it i know classy stuff that was the first part of the interview with the prats that was with paul mclaughlin and david mcguire anyway look part two's coming up so um that's it i'm not going to give you my details you don't care do you right anyway look let's um store this now archive it <laughs>